1: Welcome to the Science of Success. I'm your host, Matt Bodner. I'm an entrepreneur and investor in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm obsessed with the mindset of success and the psychology of performance. I've read hundreds of books, conducted countless hours of research and study, and I'm going to take you on a journey into the human mind and what makes peak performers tick, with a focus on always having our discussions rooted in psychological research and scientific fact, not opinion. In this episode, we discuss the daily practice that works to develop self-love, how fear is often the signpost for what we most need to do next, the lessons from a 550-mile pilgrimage through Spain, how seeking too much knowledge can often be counterproductive, and much more with our guest Kamal Ravikant. The Science of Success continues to grow with more than 700,000 downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, hitting number one new and noteworthy, and more. A lot of our listeners are curious about how to organize and remember all this information. I get tons of listener emails and comments asking me, Matt, how do you keep track of all the incredible knowledge you get from reading hundreds of books, interviewing amazing experts, and listening to awesome podcasts? Because of that... We created an awesome and completely free resource for all of our listeners. You can get it for free by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. It's a guide we created called How to Organize and Remember Everything. Again, all you have to do to get it is to text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to 44222. Or you can go to scienceofsuccess.co, that's scienceofsuccess.co, and put in your email. In our previous episode, we discussed why you should not follow your passion, the two biggest pitfalls people struggle with trying to build careers they love, the incredible importance of deep work, why deep work is so valuable and how we can cultivate it, as well as how you can structure your lifestyle to attain autonomy and mastery with Cal Newport. If you want some tools and strategies to start your new year off right, listen to that episode. Today, we have another incredible guest on the show, Kamal Ravikan. Kamal has worked with some of the best minds in Silicon Valley. Not only that, he's hiked to one of the highest points in the Himalayas, meditated with Tibetan monks, earned a US Army infantry patch, walked 550 miles across Spain, and much more. However, all of this is overshadowed by his mission in life, which is to teach others to love themselves and find the best from within and see the joy and beauty in the world. Kamal is the best-selling author of several books, including Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It, Live Your Truth, and is the author of the upcoming book, Rebirth, A Fable of Love, Forgiveness, and Following Your." Heart. Come on, welcome to the science of success.
2: Thanks for having me. That's quite an intro, man. I mean, that's quite a mission. I wouldn't, I've never come up with a mission like that. I'm just a guy who's like trying to figure himself out. And he just happens to share it in his books. But thank you. That's quite, I like the sound of that mission.
1: Well, you're welcome to borrow that one. So for listeners who may not be, you know, familiar with you and kind of your story, I'd love to, to kind of share that with them.
2: Yeah, sure. Like, I'm a former, you know, startup guy in Silicon Valley. And i you know, obviously I was in the US Army and and I've just kind of like, you know, done my own thing, backpacked across the world and those kind of things. But I think that the thing that I, you know, I believe I was putting this plan for was to write books and to write from the heart, which is something I've done for a very, very long time, you know, without ever getting published with lots of rejection letters, eventually them getting better and better. And in the end, I self published a little book on Amazon in 2011, no, 2012, sorry based on my experience in 2011 when everything fell apart and I fell apart with it and how I got out of it by working on my inner self. And the book's called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And that little book that I put out within a month with no marketing, because I literally hid underneath the table after I put it out, I was terrified of, you know, destroy my career in Silicon Valley. Instead, it was the number one self-help book on Amazon within a month and has gone on to be one of the best-selling books on Amazon four years in a row. And just kind of you know, changed my life, the power of just really taking what I've lived, what I've learned deeper within myself, not theory, not from reading others, just what came from within and put it out there to the world and just show me just the, you know, just how magical that can be and how the world responds in spades. And so... After that, a follow-up book called Live Your Truth. More, you know, meditative. It was more meditative and less prescriptive than Love Yourself, more designed to help someone come up with their own truths. And now Rebirth, which is this novel I've been working on for a long time and I'm very excited about because I put so much of what I learned in life in it. And that's a bit of my path. And here we are. For a day job, I now run a venture fund and invest in startups and entrepreneurs. So between that and our writing, I, you know, pretty full-time.
1: Yeah, that's quite a busy schedule. I'd love to share the story of kind of how you wrote "Love Yourself" like your life depends on it, and and kind of the you know the startup you had that failed, and how that kind of led to creating that book.
2: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was in a I was in a TV show a couple of years ago. I was talking about this. This is because of "Love Yourself," and I was talking with the host, and he's interviewed like heads of state and so forth. You know, he's a very successful guy. And in between the break, we were talking about something we both noticed, which is that you know, everyone we know that in our life that we consider great went through some sort of a fall. It's like almost like you have to go hit bottom until it's to realize what you're made of and then you rise and that's when you really start to shine. And I think for me, my what happened was when my last company that I built I'd self-funded for several years and it was doing really well and it blew up and i lost everything and in the the process i kind of lost myself too and i was really sick and depressed and suicidal and until one night i decided i couldn't take it anymore so i got up and i made a vow to myself that i would actually just focus on loving myself that's it that's the only thing i would do and don't ask me where that vow came from it was like one of those moments where you step you know you get out of bed and it's like i'm gonna get out of this i'm gonna die trying and then I set out to figure out how to do it. And I was sick and by myself anyway, so I just worked in, inside my head. And what worked, I went deeper. What didn't, I threw aside. I mean, I had no preconceptions of what was theory or not. I only cared about what was what would work because I, I needed to save myself. And you know, within a month, I was a completely in a different place by doing this. And out of that process, I developed a practice of what was working that I would do daily and my life just got better and better. So eventually I would tell people about it. They would do it. It would work for them. So eventually enough people were like, listen, just write this down. You need to share this. So I did more to shut them up and not have to tell the same story again and again. And so I worked very, very hard on that book to really fundamentally just make it about the simple things that work and take it all the fluff and put that book out. So, and that's the story behind the book.
1: So what is the daily practice that you developed?
2: Well, the daily practice is a combination actually. It's the reason why I wrote in the book rather in the blog post, because it's, it's not just a formula, it's also the feeling around the formula, the thinking around the formula, which is why it's in a book. And there's chapters that deal with fear and chapters that deal with other things that come up and just doing the formula. But the formula itself is basically, you know, I start with the very basic things of just, you know, neuroplasticity, as you know, like neurons that fire together, wire together. So using that and the concept of light and emotion and really creating feel, a certain kind of feelings with myself using a particular thought pattern of loving myself. And then a meditation, I started doing like a seven minute meditation purely based on those principles. And then same thing to do with, by looking myself in the mirror doing that. And ultimately when I was better and I was out in life and dealing with people on their, you know, some their people's negativity, as you come across in, in life, you know, like certain things I would ask myself that would snap me out of engaging with the negativity and keep me in the state that I've worked so hard to build. Which is very, very important. Because it's very easy to get be, become reactive and get sucked in my life. And, you know, honestly, I still do. I notice when I'm doing a practice hard, like consistently, I don't. But when I get lazy, because I do, and I get slow down, I get caught up in life and work and so forth, my life starts to show. And so I go back on it. Practice fundamentally is a mental loop. You know, it's a meditation. It's the same kind of mental loop and meditation combined. We're using a mirror into in your eyes and then fundamentally questions you ask yourself. And they're very simple. It's not like you gotta spend the entire day doing them, you know, like I spend maybe 10 minutes a day doing it, max, right, but it just, it's like go to the gym. The fundamental thing I learned, and I think that I shared in the book was, that listen, you know, be, everyone says love yourself. Your mom says that to you. Like, I mean, it, there's, there's nothing new about it. The only thing is, I came up with a systematic process that I used on myself, and it worked. It's like going to the gym, it's like eating healthy, you know, like, if you wanna be fit, you're gonna go to the gym regularly. If you want to, you know, you're going to eat healthy consistently, you may have days off or you don't, but over time consistently, otherwise your life will show. And same thing, if you want to, you know, become a person who's fundamentally just walking around with a sense of self-love for themselves, we have to work on it. We have to work on it consistently. I don't know why our minds have this pattern of going towards a negative, but they do. So what I rather try to figure out why it's negative, I say, screw it. I don't care. This is how it is. Let me focus on how to get to the positive.
1: I think that's so important. And, you know, we often have this, this evolutionary bias that's been programmed into our brains to think about mm. the threats in our environment and survival right. all the time. You know, you weren't evolved necessarily to be happy and fulfilled. You were evolved to reach a reproductive Survive. age. Yeah, exactly.
2: Survive and reproduce, right? And like every twig snapping was, you know, was danger. Yet, modern society. You know, a took snapping could be like someone leaving an online comment or a bad tweet or election result or anything, you know? So we're not designed for the modern world. So I think we have to actively work in our inner self. You know, like the best piece of advice I ever got in my life, which ultimately, which I based everything on was this one sentence. Life is from the inside out. So what I decided was when I was in the, so at the bottom that I was only going to work in the inside. And you know what? It transformed everything. When you work in, you know, there's something I fundamentally believe in now, you know, it's like when you work at in the inside, as the inside shifts, the outside shifts. There's like direct one-to-one correlation. And it's like stuff that I couldn't even predict that would happen. So like, for you know, one can say, okay, you know, if you become a better inside, you take better actions, you're, you know, you're, you're a better person, so forth. Yes, true. All that happens. But then things also happen that you have no control over that for your benefit that i don't know why it happens but it does it's consistently happened for me every time i do the practice and notice i call it a practice you know it's gym practice it's football practice whatever it's practice you do it consistently
1: that's the key point is that it's not something you can just do once or twice to kind of you know, snap no. out of a funk or a depression or whatever it is. It's something that is important to do every single day, ideally, but if life gets, you know, super busy multiple times a week on a regular basis.
2: Yeah. I mean, ideally, you know, daily, you know, like for me, life just zings when it's daily, it starts to sideline a bit when it's not. And, you know, and of course, over time, it also shifts your inner state. So like, I've never been as down as it was back then. You know, things happen, like people die. I've had friends die, you know, and, and that's life. You can't, and you should feel, you should get sad. I mean, if you don't, there's something wrong. But yet, this practice has become my foundation. This core thing about loving myself has become my foundation. I mean, think about it. There's worse foundations to have, you know, than loving yourself. If you know, if you're truly loving yourself, everything, you know, ultimately works itself out. One of the things I believe is like, you know, we have to start from within first on ourselves first. Because that's actually, it naturally then ripples over into our relationships and our life. Versus if we try to, I think a lot of, you know, like modern society loves someone. It actually comes out of, it's a place of insecurity. That's not love. Love is wanting best for someone, whether they're with you or not. Let me tell you, it's hard for me as well, right? But like, if you love yourself, truly it's far easier to love others. It's a very interesting correlation there.
1: And I'd love to to kind of dig in and, and understand how you define loving yourself. Because I think it's something that, you know, I think you and I and many listeners may kind of intuitively grasp it. But I, I can definitely see somebody listening to this and thinking, you know, that seems kind of egotistical or selfish. And, and I
2: don't <laughs> think it's that at all. You know, it's actually interesting. Uh, someone pointed that, to, that out to me once. And I thought about it and I thought, okay, here's what's egotistical and selfish hating yourself, because that's real, you know, being self-absorbed, just saying negative things to yourself. That is selfish because you know what? It makes you worse and it makes your relationships worse and makes the world worse. That is the ultimate selfish thing I can do. Loving yourself actually is the most positive thing you can do because it's not narcissistic. It's not looking in the mirror and saying, I'm so beautiful, you know, and no, no, it's not like there's no narcissism in it. It's actually feeling love, you know, like feeling love, which is the probably the most beautiful emotion that exists. I mean, every great song, every great poem. You know, there's a reason why over history all this has been written about it, because it is the truest emotion. So we're going for the one true thing that really every human has within that actually, you know, love for a child, love for a parent, love for a significant other has caused such great actions in human history, you know? Sacrifice, and it's imagine sacrificing for yourself versus like I be sacrificing for others. Yeah, you know. By the way, sacrifice yourself is called self-discipline, you know, which only results in good things. So for someone listening, I, you know, someone sent me an email once and said, you know, I'm skeptic about this. I'm like, dude, if you're actually taking the time to email me, means that you're not where you are in your life. Uh, otherwise, if you were, you wouldn't even be bothering. You'd be a bit too busy you live living your life. Why don't you just try this? Why don't you try it and see? And worst case, turns out you were right all along. You had lost nothing. You're still miserable. You know, or, better, or it could actually work and you're better off. I don't really understand too much when someone says, you know, they don't get the whole love yourself thing. I'm like, you know, I think if we were ever a baby, we know what love is. We may have lost touch with it, but it's in us. And it's truly like the fundamental human emotion that ultimately we all crave and we need. And so if we start from a place of giving that to ourselves, so we're not coming from an empty place, life tends to be far, far better.
1: And that reminds me of something else that you've talked about that I think is a really powerful concept, which is the idea that life is not happening to you, but it's happening for you.
2: Yeah, that's actually something I've noticed with people I found to be significantly successful and happy or fulfilled. This is when I work in Silicon Valley and now because of my books, you know, the kind of people I get to meet, I, you know, I know quite a few insanely successful people. But I don't know that many successful and fulfilled or successful and consistently happy people. The ones who have that are the ones who basically everything in life is basically an experience for them to grow and learn and to use for their personal growth. So it's not like, you know, they don't get sidelined by life That when you have that attitude. It's actually, I think, I came across it a few months ago. There's actually been a quote, like in one of Rumi's poems, he says that. So there's nothing, this is not anything new under the sun. You know, these are fundamental human truths that people have been figuring out for since we've been around. But imagine like living from that place. Okay? Everything that's happening is actually for your benefit. Cheryl Richardson has become a dear friend. She's a very successful self-help author. And she said to me once, I got through a breakup and I was sad about it. She said, you know, try to look at it this way. Rejection is God's protection. I thought, huh. I mean, if you think about that, because if someone and things happen someone, we as human beings don't know what's way down the road you know it could be magical now it could be the worst thing that ever happened to you 10 years from now right so if it ended now it could actually be a great gift so if you start looking at is everything is happening for my benefit from that place it makes life a lot simpler and actually makes us happier you know call it a simple mental hack it works
1: Yeah, that's so powerful. I love that phrase, rejection is God's protection. I think in many times, looking back on my life, there's so many things that I desperately wanted or wished would happen, and the fact that they didn't happen was the best thing that could have happened to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, look, I was writing for over a decade obsessively. You know, teaching myself, reading the great authors at night after work and on the weekends, just writing, rewriting, you know, sending out material, getting rejection letters. And the rejections hurt. I remember I would be depressed for a week or two Then I would think, okay, I'm going to be a better writer and I'm going to work harder than next round and get more rejection letters. But you know what that gave me was over a decade, I became a way better writer because of that. That allowed me to be the kind of writer who could write love yourself and take his ego out of the way and just write only every word that matter, cut everything else out. If I hadn't gotten those rejections for a decade, I couldn't have written Love Yourself. I would have written, like, if I would gotten, like, published early on, I'd be writing just really clever drivel, you know? It's very easy to write clever stuff. I mean, I do it all the time, and I then I throw it in the trash, you know, because I know now how to write from, you know, pure from the heart. But that took a lot of time and a lot of work to get to that place. That was all because of the rejections.
1: You touched on earlier kind of the difference or the distinction between someone who's successful and someone who is fulfilled. Could you explain that distinction?
2: I was making this distinction, someone who's successful and someone who's successful and fulfilled, you know, fulfilled, right? And so I was like, what is the things I've noticed with them? One of the key things is their attitude tends to be that everything that's happening is actually for their benefit. They work it out. You know, they'll handle it. They'll figure it out. They'll be in a better place because of it. Now, success and fulfillment, I mean, I think in that case, I think fulfillment for me is when you're really living your life in a way that your life is an expression of you, the true you, what you're putting out in the world, the way you're being, you know, just if you're walking the earth, being you and putting out to the world, the real you. That is natural fulfillment. It's actually a beautiful way to be. Now having success from that place is even more amazing. You know, you'll never have any issues with that success because it's just you being you, the real you, not the ego, not the scared person, but just you, like the gifts you got What putting my head? So, like, I would say, like, of all the things I've done, you know, startups, building companies, venture capital, all these things. The thing that I found most fulfilling, even though it's also the hardest work I've done, is writing and putting these books out. It is by far the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. Blows everything else away, you know, because it's a pure expression of me.
1: One of the things you've talked about is the idea that if something scares you, there's magic on the other side. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love Um, for you to kind of explain that.
2: That's just a rule I developed for myself. It's just a personal rule, and one that whenever I live, just results in magic. Like, for example, I was terrified of putting the love yourself out to the world. I was petrified, you know, and, and I wrote it. And I remember just being like, I was just as likely to just trash it than I was to to publish it, right? And it was actually crossing that fear that actually changed my life, transformed my life. And notice noticed that in other things, if there's like, we're really scared, you know, okay, if you're scared of, you know, throwing yourself in front of a truck, yes, that's a legitimate fear. But like most of our fears that come from within, they're actually, I think, often a signal of where to go rather than where to run away from. It's kind of funny how that worked. I think in our gut, we've learned to like listen to in a very weird way as humans, where like, this fear of going asking that girl out, you know? What's the worst that can happen? You know, Eventually you could actually meet me in a girl of your dreams. Or like publishing this book where I'm gonna be a laughing stock in my in Silicon Valley. Everybody's gonna like, what the hell, dude? You're writing this book about loving yourself with this, with this strange cover, and now you're doing like mantras in your head. I thought I would never be able to raise a dime for a company again, you know? But by doing it, it changed my life. And like so many CEOs I've met, like tell me how it's transformed their lives and made them better. That was a huge thing. So it's almost like I look at life as a cliff. Life, you know, these things in life, is, it's a cliff you're standing on and we're waiting to jump. And we think, you know, we're going to jump when there's, after our wings grow. The irony is that never will. We have to actually jump and somewhere along the way while we're falling is when they grow. Because it's like life tests us. Like I think life gives us more than we could ever ask for, but we have to step up. It's just life that requires us more of us. And I think that's fine. I think that's a fine deal.
1: I love the the phrase that you use that you have to take a leap before you can sprout the wings.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, in startup land, we talk about like a building a startup is like building a plane while on the way, while you're like falling off a cliff, you know? So like, this is just, you do without knowing what you're doing. You just got the pieces you jump and you try to build a plane and fly before you hit the ground. What I've learned is just overall in life, like in anything, the great things come from taking risks, like the real risks, not like stupid risks, but the real risk from our heart that there'll always be fear. I don't think we can overcome fear, honestly. Fear, what we can do is we can look at it from a different way. It was like, oh, that's a signal. That's a beacon. Because it's a beacon let me go there. You know, we will still feel fear. You know, what's courage? You know, the classic definition of courage, feel the fear but do it anyway. That's all it is. So I think if we look at life that way, we're going to start jumping off more cliffs and having more wings and more magical experiences.
1: It's such an important point that fear can be an indicator. And, you know, I think one of my favorite kind of quotes around that is the idea of what we fear most is what we most need to do.
2: Uh, I didn't know that, but I love it. I love it. It's so true, man. Like all these things that the poets and writers and philosophers said for us, how many centuries, they say the same thing. Time to actually just, you know, we can either learn from our own experience by making the mistakes or we can actually really pay attention and just do it. I'm a big believer in like, Rather than just going to every seminar, and reading every book, you know, and, you know, like, it's not gaining knowledge that it makes us better. It's actually applying knowledge that makes us better. And even more than that, there's too much knowledge out there that if we try to apply. it, We'll never go anywhere. So just pick one specific thing that feels right for you and go all in. So for me, it was loving myself. I went all, all in. Writing went all in. You know, when you go all in, I'm not saying it's easy along the way, but it actually shifts things and it transforms your life. You know, so it's like, it's not knowledge that matters, like practical application of specific knowledge that matters.
1: It's amazing how much wisdom, both sort of from a productivity effectiveness standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint, you know, if you look back thousands of years ago, if you look at stoicism at the Romans, you look at, you know, Buddhism, there's these lessons are timeless, and people have been sharing them for millennia. Mm -hmm. But so many people, in in many cases, live the vast majority, if not their entire lives without ever even kind of opening their eyes to a lot of these really fundamental truths.
2: Yeah. I mean, fortunately, we live in a time now when all this knowledge is very readily available. It's getting around. But I think, you know, one can get caught up in just seeking the knowledge right? I think seeking knowledge is fine until you hit something that feels right and then just do it. You can always do more later, but just pick one thing and just do it. It's like startups, right? You can't build multiple startups at a time. You can't. I mean, there's very few human beings that can do that. Same thing. If you want to work in your inner self, find the one thing and just do it consistently. Make it a practice.
0: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe
1: One of the other topics that you talk about that I really like is the idea that we are the effort, not the outcome. I'd love for you to kind of share that concept.
2: Yeah, that came actually out about when I had to reevaluate my definition of success, because my definition of success used to be what company I built, how much money I made. And then when I lost everything, I realized, well, you know, why did I fail? Did I fail because I didn't work hard? No, I worked harder than anybody I knew. Was it because I didn't work smart? No, I worked, I built something very special that very few people have pulled off yet I failed and why the company but you know it was just a matter of market forces wrong partners classic stuff in business and that kind of stuff one is not responsible for all I could do is just be the person I bring to the table you know and funny enough last year I got to read the Gita and the Gita is the core lesson is the same you are I can't remember how did they say it you are basically you have a right to your actions but not the fruit of your actions So if you just focus on what you're doing, what you're bringing to the table, you know, versus the reward, the rewards take care of themselves and your sense of self, your confidence and being come from who you're being, not the result, because the result is dependent on so many different things. But the thing, the irony is you do that enough, you will have fantastic results and you'll be happier. You'll be more content in the process. I think a lot of our anxiety and misery comes from imagining negative circumstances versus just focusing on what can we do? What do we bring to the table? Because that's the only thing we have control over anyway, right? Very
1: true. It's funny because that lesson, it can come from so many different places. Even something as simple as, you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid poker player and in poker, it's all about making the right decision and then kind of being agnostic to the outcome because you can't control yeah. when the cards fall.
2: Yeah, perfect. That's a great analogy. You know but it but you also you'll be a calmer vocal player That's better vocal player you know for doing that. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to
1: transition and talk a little bit about your upcoming book, Rebirth. You know, on the show, kind of hard-nosed nonfiction readers typically, and I was curious about the book because, you know, I think you call it a fable of, of love, forgiveness, and following your heart. And it's kind of, you know, it's based loosely on some of your personal experiences, but obviously has or some sort of fiction elements. I'd love to, to hear, you know, what inspired you to write it?
2: Because I had the story to tell, and also, one of the things, you know, I, I think is that fundamentally, as human beings, we learn best through stories. Like, look, you know, sitting around campfires telling stories, kids run around tell stories. And I remember reading A Theory on Evolution once, and what actually set us apart from Neanderthals was the fact that we could communicate in a way and create stories and tales that allowed us to gather together versus they could never get. They were always scattered, and we were gathered in higher numbers. And so, you know, and I think stories fundamentally make us human. That's how we pass along wisdom and knowledge. I want to take so many of these different things I've learned personally from my life, and seeing you know, and people's lives that I think that I really admire, and put them in a story in a classic journey where I layer them in, and the themes keep coming and going in this resolution. So that by the time someone's done reading it, these things have naturally been woven into their psyche, so that naturally are you know like have learned about these concepts and also some hopefully about some of the practical ways to like live these concepts so which is why i set out to do this trust me it's way harder to write than nonfiction. my god it's uh, oh (laughs) i it was the hardest thing i've ever done creating all these characters with like all this different dialogue and you can't make it you can't make dialogue exposition where someone's giving a lecture you know human beings don't operate that way so to create this journey of this guy walking through Spain and the people he meets along the way and their conversations and how he transformed. The goal is also for the reader to subtly transform and learn these lessons. So that's why I set out to do this. So it's not exactly your classic fiction, but it's not your classic nonfiction either. I think it's a hybrid. And I think for what I wanted to do, this served it best, which is why I set about to do it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's amazing because a lot of the themes in there are are sort of subtly woven into the dialogue and the main characters experiences. And being someone who reads probably 95% of what I read is nonfiction, I really enjoyed kind of how those lessons. It's funny, because in a way, fiction almost teaches them more effectively, right? And and so I think that speaks to kind of the power of storytelling to really, anchor yeah. some of these themes.
2: There's something very special about it. It also made me just given me such great admiration for for writers that all they do is tell a write fiction it's my god the level of work that goes in is it's insane i think my next book is going to be nonfiction. <laughs> i need to break i'm very very you know it's, it's a very special day today was when the publisher sent me the hardcover that i i got to hold the hardcover for the first time my hands the front for the final copy you know and all this work to see it come out and to see like you know, this will be out in bookstores everywhere, like, and in, you know, obviously in online places like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so forth. And to see your work out in the world that you have given your all to, it's the best feeling. It is the best feeling. And so, like, look, I gave it my best. That's all I can do, right? The rest is up to the book. I give it my best. I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, talk about it, market it. But in the end, it's up to the book to fly and touch people. And then if you touch people, they will share it, which is exactly what happened to Love Yourself. That book went viral, like it when it's insane. Like it goes everywhere, and that's the power of just sharing what you know. You know, whatever your medium is.
1: So the book, and for listeners who may not know, the book is kind of about. Well, you probably can tell it better than I. No, can. No, actually, I'd like
2: to hear it. Well, I, <laughs> I was gonna to say it's it's about a
1: it's about a pilgrimage across Spain, basically, and and kind of the. And it's about a lot more than that. But that's kind of the vehicle that tells some of the other pieces of the story. That's loosely based on an actual pilgrimage you took, right?
2: Correct. I did that when I was like about 25 or 26. And I'm not religious at all. And in fact, most of the people I met in the pilgrimage weren't religious either. But it is something about walking. This pilgrimage has been around since the 11th century. It's called the Camino de Santiago. And there's something about walking on the same and following the same footsteps of people who have done it for so many centuries. You're just another one. And as you go through, like walk through wheat fields and vineyards and cities and mountains and deserts and, you know, forests and you shift and the people you meet along the way, the conversations you have, by the time you like you start to the time you end, whatever you need to resolve gets resolved. It's sort of like how it works. It's very interesting. You know, there's a reason, I guess, why many cultures have a concept of a pilgrimage. So a pilgrimage was a perfect vehicle to share these lessons. So I took this experience I'd lived and wrote the story in a way so that I could weave the lessons into that vehicle.
1: So what prompted you initially to kind of choose? I mean, you know, I guess when I was reading, I was like, why Spain and why a pilgrimage? For the story. Or no, for life? in your real life, when you you know when you were you initially want the decided, truth?
2: yeah, I was in Italy visiting a friend from college. And we were at this beautiful Italian woman's house, and we were very drunk on grappa that her grandmother made. And I was trying to impress her, and she told me about this pilgrimage, and I said I would walk it. <laughs> so I came up with the idea when I was really, really yeah. drunk trying to impress a beautiful Italian woman. Next day when I woke up, I was like, well, that was interesting. So I, started, I was like, but it seems kind of cool. Let me just go do it for a few days. And so I went off and I did it, and I ended up doing the whole thing. But the whole thing started off being drunk, trying to impress a woman, which is pretty much where all a lot of great male stories start.
1: That's really funny. (laughs) That reminds me of like, I'm trying to remember, I think there's some psychologist who's written a lot about the idea that basically all kind of technology and and human innovation is essentially an elaborate giant sort of mating ritual.
2: It really is. It's it's us peacocks doing, doing our dance, literally. You know, it's funny. There's a lot of truth to it.
1: So from that kind of actual journey, what were some of the, you know, the biggest kind of learnings or takeaways that you had from it?
2: Actually, that, that journey, I taught me that I learned a lot about forgiveness in that some conversations I have, which is actually one of the core themes in this book as well, because I think forgiveness is such an important thing in our lives that so forgiveness is self-forgiveness because if you want to talk about being free, I don't think we can be free until we fully either forgive or, or forgive ourselves, forgive who we hold. It's just... Otherwise, we're just carrying this psychic baggage, and so that was one of the key things I learned, and that's one of the key lessons woven in this book. Another thing: what else did I learn? I mean, that was the main thing, honestly, because I've done other. I've like climbed mountains. I was in the army and stuff, so it wasn't like I learned how to walk across the country or anything like that. And you know, what's interesting is it's quite easy to do. People walk in the '70s and '80s. It's you know, you're in a you're in Spain. You know, you're not like in the you're not walking the Appalachian Trail you know another thing with just the people you meet You know, that's another thing about traveling and something doing something like that is special because people come all over the world to do it so you meet interesting people very interesting people from all over the world and you share with each other the stories of their lives and you can't help but grow because of that they can't help but grow because of that it's like it's basically a very nice you know encapsulated microcosm of just personal growth i would highly recommend anyone to do something like that
1: And I think you say, and I might be paraphrasing in the book, but you know, you become part of the Camino and it becomes part of you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like when you throw yourself into anything like that, you become a part of it. And yeah, like for example, the Camino, not only are people changing your life, you're changing other people's lives. You all become part of that same journey for each other. It's never a one way street. So you all become part of this one constant flow of people that have over the centuries done it and changed and gone on to live better lives. It's a beautiful thing.
1: I'd love to dig into forgiveness a little bit. And and I think the book does an amazing job of dealing with kind of the main characters, both his his kind of having to forgive himself and also forgiving his father. Right. I thought it was really fascinating. I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, how do we cultivate, I guess, let's start with sort of self-forgiveness.
2: Ah, self-forgiveness. You know, it's like, ultimately, uh, you know, I actually wrote a piece about this. I'm going to put out, it's another practice that I've done that works. As I see, you, know, you see the theme there, right? It's practice. But I think self-forgiveness ultimately is just recognizing we're human. You know, like look up human in a definition in any dictionary, doesn't say equals perfect, right? Recognizing we're human and we learn and we do and, and we, we try. We keep on trying. We're these amazing, special creatures that keep on falling and getting up and we, you know, keep moving forward and eventually become better and better because of it. I think that's just a human journey realizing that this is part of the human journey our mistakes are part of it there is no way around it right so if we realize that it's easier to forgive ourselves you know to have that kind of that compassion for ourselves versus holding ourselves to it because I'm very guilty of that you know like I'm hard on myself until I realize all you can do is you're doing the best you can at that time now do the best you can at this time that's all we can do that's the only contract and it makes it way easier to forgive yourself when you look at life that way
1: And there's a really powerful passage in the book that I'm going to read here when Amit, who's the main character, is kind of thinking about his father, which which ties into what you just talked about. He says, he was not a saint or a monster, just human, with all his faults, dreams, hopes, and desires, a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I think that perfectly kind of encapsulates that. And for me, I felt like that was kind of a, a powerful passage in the sense that it just really simply captured the fact that we're all human. And, you know, despite... Despite the the flaws and errors and the mistakes that we make and, and that others make, you know, behind that, there's something that you can always find a way to forgive somebody.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like forgiving doesn't mean, you know, forget and go run right back. Forgiving just means making that fundamental shift of understanding inside yourself. Ultimately, all, it's all from within. Forgiveness helps you more than it helps anyone else. You know, forgiveness is just like basically a burning inside you that you just need to, you know, let go of and it goes away. It's all for That's the irony. Like, it's like to forgive someone else is actually just helping yourself. You know, we all have to go through a journey of forgiveness. Sometimes it takes a while. Like Ahmed has to go walk in this pilgrimage. The lessons he's got to learn, which lead him to forgiveness. You know, I think we all do that in our own way. And that's all fine. It's the human condition. It's the human journey.
1: The beautiful part about that is that the research and the science in psychology shows that forgiveness is incredibly powerful. And not only is it associated with sort of brain states that are, you know, more beneficial to thinking and having more cognitive ability, but they are also associated with longevity, happiness, all kinds of outcomes. So forgiveness is, is it's not just woo woo. It's actually really scientifically validated and incredibly powerful.
2: I totally agree. Like these emotional states inside of us, you know, they create, I mean, the mind-body connection. At this point, if someone doesn't know it, they must have been hiding under a rock somewhere. It's true. I mean, you look, you look at data, you can look at your own life. And it's if you do it for yourself, ultimately, you know, the people around you in the world is better. So there's nothing selfish about it. One has to work on themselves first and work on forgiveness and self-love, the very core, core things that matter.
1: One of the other kind of lessons from the book that, you know, sort of emerges as you're reading it is this phrase that Amit learns from, I think, a, a French woman that he encounters. I might be I might be messing that up, but it's mm-hmm. basically the question of if I love myself, would I do this?
2: Right. It, it's a, if I love myself, what would I do? Yeah. And that like incorporates it as, you know, incorporate some of the stuff I learned on loving myself into the book. I mean, how could I not? <laughs> it's such a core lesson. But that he uses that simple question to actually guide him forward in the journey, and which is just a metaphor for guiding yourself in life and a place for making some decisions. And what I love, what I found very powerful when I came up with that question for myself was I never said because I love myself or when I love myself, I say if I love myself. I mean, if means, you know, so let's go from there. If I love myself, what's the action I would take? That simple. Anyone can answer that question. Otherwise, we'll get stuck in, oh, I don't love myself yet, or, you know, so forth. So that if statement is very powerful, and it's actually very freeing.
1: Yeah, I think the if is what makes that statement so powerful. It lets you, and it kind of takes your mind off the hook from dealing with whether or not you, you know, feel like you love yourself, etc. And it kind of opens a new pathway of possibility for thinking about and cultivating self-love.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think that if thing is what you know is part of the practice that I that you know I was like locked in my room coming up with, and that actually really helped me a lot because I didn't start off like myself. I I, you know, I hated myself. I didn't believe, believe in the word love. You know, I kind of laugh at that now, but really I used to be the guy who would say, "Oh, I love this Pasha, you know, whatever. Like I started from the opposite place, you know. And if anyone can like end up, it shocks me that where I've ended up, you know, where I feel about it now. But starting from an if place gave me the freedom to. Because there was no having to prove anything if, okay, if I did, what would I do? Well, I would do this. So why don't I do this? And yeah, that's simple.
1: And the funny thing about the power of the word if, and, and we've talked about this in previous episodes of the show where we dig into limiting beliefs and how to overcome them and using if statements like that are a great way to kind of trick your subconscious and sidestep the resistance that you feel yeah. to imagining yeah. new possibilities and, and kind of blowing apart some of your limits. So it's it's really, really powerful and a great tool. And it, it's something that's so simple, but just that simple turn of phrase can have a massive impact.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think like I remember I was on Facebook and I heard someone had quoted Tony Robbins and said, The quality of your life matters and the quality of your questions. Huh, okay, I get it. You know, I'm kind of doing that with this question. And it's a transformative question. If one just asks themselves and their actions, it'll transform your life. That alone, that simple one alone.
1: And, you know, in Rebirth, in many ways, Amit kind of goes through the process of kind of changing some of the questions that he's asking about, yeah. you know, go sort of from why is he suffering to what can he do about it? I think that transition is really powerful in, in terms of kind of internalizing that lesson when you read that story.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of writing fiction. You can show the growth, you know, and show lessons through growth. That is what makes storytelling special.
1: It's funny, I said it a little bit earlier, but like as a nonfiction reader, I kind of went in very skeptical of of kind of what is this going to be about? And what am I going to get out of it? And I was amazed how much I took from it and how relevant it was to some of the struggles I've dealt with in my life and and some of the challenges I've had. And, And it was really powerful for me to read the book, even though, you know, it was it was a fictional story that has kind of didn't seem like it had any sort of relevance to what I was thinking about.
2: That's beautiful. Thank you. That's what I was going for. Thank you so much.
1: So for somebody who's listening to us and wants to kind of take, you know, a first step or or some kind of action to implement some of these ideas, what is one sort of simple piece of homework that you would give them?
2: Well, let's just stay with what we were talking about. That simple question start asking yourself that, you know, in your actions, like, for example, you know, in simple things as eating, or, you know, working out versus not working out, or, you know, interacting with someone and a negative versus a positive state, if I love myself, and you know, when I say love, I mean, like truly love, like the way you love a parent or a baby, or even a puppy, like the way the puppy loves you, like true love for yourself. If I truly love myself, what would I do? Answer that question and then go f- live from that place. That alone, I think your life will be amazing. <laughs> just take that, you
1: know? Simple, but not always easy advice.
2: Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 that's why it's a it's work, you know, like no, you know, no one I've met in my life who's ever done anything of value or significance has ever, ever not put in the work. And I think truly the thing that we should work on the most is ourselves. Because when we are better, the world is better, our life is better, everything's just better because of it, you know, the classic ripple effect. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not easy, but that's not necessarily that hard either. There's no, you don't have to burn any sage. You don't have to do any, like you know, go across, the, uh, go walk across the country. Just ask this question and throughout actions in the day, ask yourself twice a day. That's two more times. Your actions will be better rather than before they would have been,
1: you know? So for listeners who want to learn more or find some of these resources, where can they find you and the book online?
2: Well, they can find everywhere. I've set up a, you know, like a special page for the book. People can learn more about it. It's rebirthfable.com. And they can just go there and, you know, learn more about it and see where it's available. And it's going to be in, you know, everywhere starting January 3rd. Yeah, that's the best way. You know, I figured that's a simple enough URL for people to remember. And it also captures the book rebirth fable. It is a fable because I wanted I wanted to be like a journey that transforms a reader just as it transforms the main character. Right. I don't like reading just drama and all that. In the end, you're just all tightly wound up and stressed, you know. So I wanted this to be something that creates just a shift inside and fables do that. So, you know, just go to readwithfable.com and, you know, check it out. And I hope, you know, you enjoy it.
1: You know, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being on the show, Kamal. The book, it was really impactful for me. As I said, kind of before we started recording, I was you know, brought to tears at a few pieces of the book and, and I thought it was really, really powerful. So for listeners out there who are thinking about it, I'd highly recommend checking it out. It's a great book and and it shares some really, really valuable lessons. So thank you again for being on the show. It's been an honor to have you on here and we really enjoyed it.
2: Oh, the honor is mine, you know, really, you know, I'm so lucky I get to share myself with the world through, you know, experiences like this. So no, truly, thank you. Thank you so much for listening
1: to the Science of Success. Listeners like you are why we do this podcast. The emails and stories we receive from listeners around the globe bring us joy and fuel our mission to unleash human potential. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at scienceofsuccess.co. That's M-A-T-T at scienceofsuccess.co. I would love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. The greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. I get tons of listeners asking, Matt, how do you organize and remember all this information? Because of that, we've created an amazing free guide for all of our listeners. You can get it by texting the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Again, that's SMARTER to 44222. Or going to scienceofsuccess.co, that's scienceofsuccess.co, and joining our email list. If you want to get all this incredible information, links, transcripts, everything we talked about, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get them at our website, scienceofsuccess.co. Just hit the show notes button at the top. You'll get everything we talked about in this episode. And if there's previous episodes that you enjoyed, you can get all the show notes from those episodes as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.